Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Mitchell Yass. He has his doctorate in physical therapy, although he does not use that anymore per se, at least not the education behind his physical therapy degree and the protocols in which physical therapists use. He has a different ideology in which he believes pain is misdiagnosed and it is, I would even say, misrepresented and certainly handled improperly in the medical system. And he's going to go down the rabbit hole and talk about why he believes things need to change. He gives science behind it. He gives sort of mechanistic and causal reasons behind it, right? I don't let people come on the podcast just to spew nonsense. He has actual, actual, you know, mechanistic and science reasons why he believes that we need to change the processes. Now, I don't agree with everything Dr. Mitchell Yes says. He talks about things like, oh, well, you know, if a nerve is, is trapped, if there's some nerve entrapment, then why don't we see pain being persistent and consistent? Well, you know, nerve being trapped or impinged or movement-based, right? So in certain movements, that nerve is not going to be trapped. It's not going to be pinched. It's not there. It is, it is going to be relieved, so to speak. Um, you know, and, there, and there's some other things, you know, my wife being a sports medicine doctor, uh, who she would have certainly a lot to say about this. And, and I'm sure maybe down the road she will. And then I'll have Dr. Yasson again after her episode. And he can come back on and say what, what he thought was wrong on her end and, and what, what she was misrepresenting. But he, he does have a great sort of, I guess you would say, big picture view of what's going on in the medical industry from all the people that he's helped. The process when people first have pain to getting an MRI, to getting diagnosed, to going to the physical therapist, he has a great big picture view of why that whole process can really be cleaned up to help people move pain-free. It was a really great conversation. If you want to learn more about what Dr. Yass does, please go to Live Without Pains, and that is Live underscore without underscore pains on Instagram. You can find everything there, or you can go livewithoutpains.com. With no further ado, here is Dr. Mitchell Yass and I. Dr. Mitchell Yass, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Why don't you give my listeners in the audience a little background on who you are, your credentials, and what you do in the health industry? Sure. So first, let me start by saying I have a doctorate in physical therapy. That is not to say I practice physical therapy. In fact, the method that I utilize, I derived as a result of recognizing that my medical background did not prepare me properly to diagnose and treat the cause of pain. So what I do now was a resultant of seeing the failure of the existing system. So that's very important to understand. Um, basically, a rough shot of how I got here was I was this very thin guy, had a lot of self-esteem issues, wanted to put muscle mass on from 19 to 26. I started lifting weights, did everything Joe Weider and Arnold Schwarzenegger told me to do. Nothing worked. All of a sudden at 26, I remember I take a high school physics course and I'm like, wait a second, weightlifting has something to do with physics because gravity is a force vector and maybe there are aspects of physics that can actually help me lift weights. So I start looking at force vectors, fulcrum arms, levers, a variety of physics laws and all of a sudden over the next four years I put 40 pounds of muscle on. That is the basis by which I do strengthening. This is not from a curriculum. This is literally a self-taught understanding of the laws of physics applies to weightlifting. Just as that's happening, I was a project manager construction, quit that job, 
all of a sudden I hear about this thing called physical therapy. I entered the practice. Within a couple of weeks of entering the curriculum, I'm recognizing most of what's saying is baseless from a logical standpoint. And I start to recognize that I can't follow that as I'm doing my final affiliation and start treating people. The big jump of logic was that as I'm treating people and I would say, where is your pain? Point to where your pain is. It was not where it should be if an identified structural abnormality from an MRI what to create pain. So by definition, that structural variation could not be the cause of that pain. I went on to interpret the symptoms, recognized that the cause of pain was muscular in 98% of cases, and utilized that self-derived strength training program to be able to make people be out of pain in a session or two. So that is kind of the crux of what I've come to do and know. Well, that, there's a lot there to to unpack, but let's let's go with one of the one of the last things you just said. You said you know 98% of pain is muscular, but I mean, are you saying it's it's not nerve related? Are you saying it's not you know tied interwoven with all of these other things? You're saying that, it's really simply just muscular? That is 100% what I'm saying. So interesting. Let, let's look at the evidence because I am a logician and I only do things based on logic. Logic is to say there must be a theoretical basis for something, but most importantly, then empirical evidence, evidence that presents what is much match it. It can't just be have a theoretical basis and follow that when empirical evidence says what you're saying is wrong. So number one, when did chronic pain begin? Did it ever exist in the history of mankind? The answer is no, never, ever. Go back, look at it, you'll see. It began in the mid to late 1980s. Why? What drove chronic pain? The answer is technology. Technology, automation, computers, all these type things started changing the way people live their lives. They went from doing jobs that required manual um, activity to doing things where they sit and look at computers. Uh, in terms of recreational, right? When I was a kid, I played football when I was a kid I, after school, right? Now the kid plays Madden football on a computer. And what you can see is that throughout all of culture, things went from being done manually to being done from an automated standpoint. So as a result, our muscles began to weaken. When we then did try to do things, they weren't prepared, and so they strained. So the primary reason that people have pain from the 1980s forward is because the force requirement of gravity to do activity is greater than the force output of people's muscles. That's why you saw from the 1960s and 70s, the only people really suffering from pain were people who had retired, the older, and they called it rheumatism, but it really wasn't rheumatism, it was muscular, to now people from the 20s to the 90s suffering from chronic pain. The reason it became chronic not just this massive new population of people in pain was because part of that technology was the advent of the MRI, which finds structural variations, herniated discs, arthritis, stenosis, any of these type things. The thing that everyone better wrap their head around is that muscular causes cannot show up on MRI or X-ray. So if it is a muscular cause, the people you are seeking care from to get the proper diagnosis will never provide the proper diagnosis. All right, so let me run through maybe a scenario in which you're trying to describe here. I am having lower back pain. I see multiple physicians. They're not really sure what's wrong. They send me to a chiropractor, not sure what's wrong. They send me a physical therapist, not sure what's wrong. I finally get an MRI. They say, hey, it looks like you have uh, disc degenerative disease. You might have a little uh, herniation or compression in, you know, uh, whatever you're somewhere in your lumbar region 
And because they see the structural abnormality, they're telling you that this is the reason why you have pain. What you're saying is because you can't see the muscular pain, they obviously can't diagnose that, but really that would be the key issue in the pain. Right, so let's break apart a bunch of things you're talking about. Number one, you have this pain, right? Did you get an MRI prior to having the pain? No, you first get the MRI at the time of the pain. For the first time, the herniated disc stenosis or arthritis is identified, and since it's identified for the first time at the time of your pain, it is asserted to be the cause of your pain. Would anyone disagree that is the basis by which the diagnosis is created? No question, correct? Correct. That is called correlative theory from a sure. scientific basis. And correlative theory says that if I open my front door when the sun rises, I could say opening my front door causes the sun to rise. And I can have you stand at my door for six months and I will open my front door and you'll see that sun rise. But I don't think you're going to accept that I'm causing the sun to rise, right? You would say that's nuts. So clearly, why would you accept correlative theory as the basis for diagnosing you? So let me ask you this. Would the MRI at the time of your lower back pain show you have two elbows? You have two elbows, correct? So I do. based on logic, I could say, the MRI found you have two elbows on that picture for its first time at the time of your pain. Therefore, I will assert two elbows is the cause of your pain and you need elbowectomies. That's the sickness of this. That's the, I, I don't think people understand. This is junk science. This, this, there is no basis from a theoretical perspective in the use of the MRI, okay? Now, yeah, and I'm, I'm with you and I hear you up to this point and I am, uh, I'm, I'm not for the uh, correlative information, throw that out the door, but I, I think maybe their argument would be there's the causal is that if you have, let's say, uh, you know, disc herniation, that could be sitting on a nerve and then that nerve would be sending pain signals to a particular area. Am, very, I, am I incorrect to say that? Very good. You just brought up the point. So... When you have pain at your chest and your left arm, do you think you have an ankle sprain? No, you say, oh shit, I think I'm having a heart attack because the heart creates a very specific set of symptoms. When your entire left side of your body goes numb, you don't say, hmm, maybe I should check my knee. You say, oh shit, I think I'm having a stroke because those symptoms are definitely correlated to a particular tissue, the brain. So we have to recognize, and Hippocrates himself derive the Hippocratic method of evaluating for cause to look at symptoms to interpret what tissue is creating those symptoms. So you just said, oh, if it was a herniated disc impinging on a nerve, you should have a symptom where that nerve root, by the way, not a nerve, but a nerve root, nerve creates root a symptom. That is yeah. called a dermatome. That is called a dermatome. And if anybody looked at the lumbar dermatomes, you'd see they innervate your leg. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that would probably indicate that if your pain's in your lower back, it's probably not from that nerve root. Very interesting. Yeah, and, and you're right. So like I've had clients who've had, let's say, C6, C7 herniation, and they start complaining about pain in their shoulder blade that leads to, let's say, a lack of uh, use in their tricep, right, as, as that nerve runs down there. And, and, and there's a specific nerve root and innervation, and you kind of, you know, th that's a causal effect. But you're right, if you have lower back pain, it's usually muscular. It's not from a nerve in your lumbar region because the nerves in your lumbar region are running elsewhere. Well, let's also go to this point. So they're being you're being told it's from a herniated disc impinging on a nerve root because it was found at the time of your pain. That's it. That's the only thing they're going with. They're never going to try to look at your symptom to associate. But let me ask you this. Isn't the nerve root always impinged? 
If it's, if it's impinged, isn't it always impinged? You would think so. So you would expect your pain to be constant with and roughly a similar type of uh, intensity. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. It's never that. No. Oh, you're bone on bone at your knee. But when you sit down, you don't quite seem to have the pain. But when you're weight-bearing, you do. So sitting down causes you to no longer be bone on bone? Wow, that's pretty cool. You see the psychotic nature of it? You have to look at the symptoms as a whole. Part of looking at symptoms is understanding what brings it on and what shuts it off. And if you're going to tell me a meniscal tear, a herniated disc, arthritis, any of these things are causing symptoms, you better show me that those symptoms are fairly constant if the structure itself is responsible. Oh, that's right. 98 to 99% of the people I've treated over 30 freaking years, that was never the case. And you're not denying that things happen like meniscal tears, right? That, that they're not real, they're not happening. You're just saying that the pain associated with it and the way they deal with it is, is improper. So the question is, no one's going to deny that these things exist. You're seeing it. The question is, is it creating your symptom? That's the question. Let me ask you this. You're 80 years old or you're 60 or 70 years old. You start noticing you're having wrinkles on your face. Do you suddenly start getting skin grafts because... Your skin isn't the way it used to be? Do you start panicking? Oh, shit, my skin isn't the way it used to be. I need to have skin grafts. No, because you say the integrity of the skin is still intact, even though there is a wrinkle there. It's still doing what it's intended to do, protect me from antigens entering my body. Here's the magic answer to the freaking world. Herniated discs, arthritis, stenosis, pinched nerves, any of these type things are wrinkles. They're not cancer. They're not cancer. The mere identification of them doesn't mean you need to address them because they're not creating symptoms. That's what everyone has to understand. Just because yeah. you have a malformation doesn't mean it needs to be treated. But part of the, you know, part of the issue that I see on my end, you know, someone who deals with people and personalities on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not just the medical industry. It's that people do want a quick answer. So if they came to you, um, Dr. Mitchell and they, they came to me and we said, Hey, you know, this, this pain is associated with a bad lifestyle choices over the past 20 years. We could sort of slowly reverse these, but you're gonna have to put in some work. It's going to take a little bit of time. Or they go to the surgeon who says, we'll just replace the joint. Some people actually just want the simple answer. And, and that's really unfortunate. It's not just the medical industry. It's people need to look inward and say, there are no simple answers. We're going to have to work on this problem slowly. So, so let's see where we are now in this process of chronic pain, and you'll start to recognize there's a shitload more people who are willing to give up on this system as it is. So you've got the people who have had multiple surgeries, back surgeries, joint replacements, revisions, and all this crap. They're still writhing in pain. Their lives have been taken away from them. You have the people who have gotten addicted to opioids. Straight out synthetic heroin. Let's not be confused about what this is. It's synthetic heroin. End of story. They're addicted to it. You have those people who tried surgery and synthetic heroin and it hasn't worked and they've been told, life's done, you got to stay like that. You ask these people, any of those people, listen, I need you to do three exercises three times a week to make your pain go away. You don't think most of them or a substantial number of them are going to say, shit, yeah, I'll do anything now to get my life back. I don't disagree with you. The initial person is going to have trouble. They're looking for that quick fix. But when that quick fix doesn't work anymore, and you're thinking maybe you can't live another day on earth this way, you'll do anything. If I said, literally, you have to walk through shit, you'll do it. So and I've done this for 30 years, by the way, 15,000 people. 
I've seen the worst of the worst of this situation. So where does it start? So, you know, let's continue to go down that path uh, of the, let's call it the patient experience. I'm a patient. I go to the physician. They diagnose me with whatever, this low back pain. They can't, they can't tell me what it does. And then they go to the physical therapist. Where is the, where is the juncture in which you believe there needs to be a switch? Is it at the physical therapy level? No, it's at the first entering of the medical system. It is the so basis by which the diagnosis is derived, right? So let's say, let's give you like a classic situation. I'm a guy who sits at my desk and I sit there all day and I'm on my computer. And every time I try to go stand up, I feel like I can't stand up and I have a shooting pain in my back and I just have to go to the floor, right to the floor. And I can't, and it takes me a while to try to stand up. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't right? But it all seems to be, when I'm sitting, it's not the problem. It's when I go to stand up, right? So you're going to, eventually, you just can't take it. Your lifestyle is being affected. You're going to enter the medical system. You go to an orthopedist or a neurologist. You're going to get an MRI. It's going to find a structural variation. The, 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 whatever that structural variation becomes the basis of all treatment going forward. So I don't care if you go for physical therapy. By the way, I have a doctor in physical therapy. It's worthless crap in the sense that it is a palliative care. Go to the American Physical Therapy Association's website and they will say they are a palliative care. Palliative care implies that it is done for nothing more than to minimize a symptom. It has nothing to do with diagnosing a cause. You go to physical therapy with the diagnosis of herniated disc, they think they're treating you for a herniated disc. I don't even know what that means. Are they gonna unherniate it? Are they going, to, stenosis is narrowing of the space between, they're gonna unstenosis your stenosis? They're going to untear your meniscus? What exactly does any of that mean? It doesn't mean anything. So what happens is they become the next step, and here's what happened. You went to that surgeon, and he said, listen, I know I'm a surgeon, but I really don't like doing surgery. It's really the last resort. I'm, I'm a really nice guy. I prefer, I prefer not to do surgery. So what we're going to do is we're going to try all these nice conservative things. Try physical therapy and chiropractor. I'll give you some anti-inflammatories. I'll give you cortisol. I'll do all this stuff. But if it comes down to the fact that nothing works, do you agree as a last resort you can get surgery? You were oh, yeah. just manipulated, literally coerced into a decision based on a false set of circumstances. So that's the process. So you'll try all the conservative things. Everybody who's never got surgery tells me I would never get surgery. You have no idea what it's like to have pain that's so deadly that you can't even get out of bed. I've had people who are straight out bedridden from this level of pain. And for people to think, and this is another constant misnomer, that muscular pain can't be brutal. I've had people whose piriformis muscle in their butt has gone into spasm and sent them to the hospital. No. That's one of my favorite other, uh, like one of the things people say, who have had surgery and it didn't work and eventually, you know, the symptoms came back and now I'm treating them. They'll say, oh, I definitely had to have that surgery because the pain was so bad and they showed me the disc. It had. So let me ask you this. You have a hernia. You're one of those people who had a herniated disc and you have no pain. I know for sure you had no pain. I gave you an MRI. You have a herniated disc and I hit you with a sledgehammer. I'm going to imagine that's going to cause a lot of pain. Because you have a lot of pain, does that mean now the herniated disc that wasn't causing the pain is causing the pain? Because the herniated disc is there while you have this sledgehammer pain? Of course not. It's lunacy. Lunacy. And that's what, what people have to understand. And, and, and 
they have nowhere to turn to though, right? That's, that's also the problem, right? So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take, we'll take your, your word. And I, I do agree with you that a lot of this pain is, is muscular, right? This, this is what is going on, but everywhere they turn to is telling them that's not the case. Or if it is the case, they tried uh, a variation of fixing it that didn't work. And then the last step is surgery. But I will say, you know, in defense of some people in the medical industry, they are also inundated with so much stuff. They don't have the time to spend with the patient, right? So you walk into a doctor's office, the clock's ticking. They got 15 minutes to deal with you because of how insurance works, because of how the offices have to make money. So it's it's really not just the individual physicians or practitioners fault. It's the system as a whole. There's no question. It's cultural. This is a cultural pre pre predisposition. It's the educational system that hasn't changed. Go look at the curriculum of an orthopedist from 1970 something and look at the curriculum from 2022 or 2023. It's identical. It's identical. They look for a meniscal tear. I find a variation to a meniscal tear of the knee. I'm going to say you need surgery because that meniscal, that meniscus doesn't look the way it used to. And I know that I can make it look the way it used to. That's all. The idea that trying to associate that with pain has not been in, introduced into the curriculum. So they're just doing what they were told. By the way, I'll just give you a little kind of statistic thing. Of people who don't have pain, of those people who do have knee pain, 63% were found to have meniscal tears. People who have knee pain, 63%. Of the people who don't have knee pain, 60% are found to have meniscal tears. So could you explain how meniscal tears cause pain? I don't know, that sounds very weird to me. Sounds to me like it's an independent variable and it's more wrapped that the people in pain have a muscular cause who happen to have just had an MRI while they're in pain to show them they have the, the meniscal tear. That's what it sounds more like to me. Do you see there ever being sort of a, I guess, a, a change of the guard here? Do you, are you, I know you're fighting for it, but is this an uphill battle that you think you're never going to win? Or are you in this because you think that you can change the, uh, the, the dealing with chronic pain, the process of it? So I'll give you a little sense of where I think I am. George Washington goes to Congress, and at one point he is told to create the Continental Army to beat the most powerful military organization in the world, the British, right? So when he goes off to start this thing, how many people are in the Continental Army? One, George Washington. He then has to go to, Brit to, to Boston where they're having the siege and he has to find some militia and somehow kind of break them in and make them become a Continental Army, right? I'm going against the global behemoth. I'm going against the global medical behemoth that for 40 years has misled people into thinking that that MRI is valid. And in fact, I could prove to anybody at any time it is theoretically, clinically, and scientifically baseless. I have done this thousands of times. I, 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 I would say the vast majority of people, 98, 99% of people who came in with a medical diagnosis from an MRI, I proved it was muscular and resolved their pain within weeks. I'm not saying they didn't have the structural variation. I'm simply telling you it was like a wrinkle and simply exists and will exist for the rest of their life. So I believe that I am being used by God, and this gets kind of quirky, but I think I'm being used by a higher power. I am the chosen one to who has given this information, this capacity to know what I know, and to implement this in whatever way is possible, and to do things like go on podcasts, which a year and a half ago, I didn't even know what the word podcast meant, but someone I treated told me that I should do this and I started the process and I've been on over 80 already. Um, 
I am being directed to do this. I, I, people can say whatever they want about it, don't matter to me because I'm at peace now with myself and what I do and my responsibility. And I believe that we are at the point where there is beginning to get an ascension of awareness. You have two things happening. You are getting a greater and greater um, disillusionment with the medical system and people are more and more out there seeking and I am more and more making this available to people and those two will eventually join together and we will create a people's revolution and I truly believe this is the path and I am prepared I have created certification programs to then certify people as this gets outside of me and we will get more and more people to implement this and quite simply we will simply move people away from that system to this system and the process will take as long as it takes what about in general, you know, what's your thoughts or your prescription about uh, avoiding chronic pain as a whole, uh, having a healthier lifestyle so that one doesn't come down with the chronic pain in the first place? Yeah. So let's talk about what the chronic pain is. And then we could understand if you understand what's causing chronic pain, then you could understand how to prevent it in the first place. And as I said before, basically, you live in a gravitational environment. And that's always been. And that means that anytime you're trying to do anything other than like flat on the floor, you're pushing against gravity. So there is a force requirement for every activity you do. There are specific muscles required to perform that for, or to uh, do that force, that, to, to adapt to that force requirement. And so they have to have an equivalent force output. If all the muscles required to have a force output don't have that, one muscle is going to break down, others are going to compensate. It's going to lead those to have a greater force requirement than they need or they're designed to, and they're going to strain and elicit pain. So the question is, why recognizing that, wouldn't you develop an isolated strength training program that only has to be done two to three times a week that should take less than an hour uh, uh, each time and then sustain a certain force output of all of your muscles so regardless of the activity you perform, you'll never strain. That, that is my preposition. That is my point. That is where I want this to go eventually. I want people to recognize strengthening isn't something about aesthetics. Now, if this was the 1960s or 70s when you were a farmer or you, you, know, you, you did things that required hard manual labor, well, because you had a force requirement that was fairly rigid, your muscles had to sustain their strength to do that. That's why chronic pain didn't exist at that time. But now if you plan on doing things that require very little manual input, then your muscles are simply going to weaken. There's just no choice because you're not forcing them to sustain strength based on a force requirement. So as a result of that, you will weaken and you will become susceptible to pain. So my point to everybody is you have two choices. If you want to be an IT person, then I assure you, you're going to need to do some sort of targeted strength training program to maintain your strength so that you don't strain and elicit pain. Or go back and become a farmer again. That's your two choices. It's that simple. I like it. Uh, and it's the truth. You know, personal trainers like myself have worked with, uh, you know, I work with a lot of seniors who have, uh, you know, basically a, a lifelong journey of flying on airplanes and sitting on desks and they have cervical column issues and they have bad posture and they're, you know, their low back pain is because their 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 glutes don't fire don't don't fire right. They haven't used their ass muscles in a while. And and the funny thing is, there's so many what I would call charlatans who push, 
you have to stretch. And what they do is they stretch and they feel better right there and then. And then they come back the next day and they have the same problem. It's like, well, you, you, you see how the stretching didn't cure, cure the problem, right? Ultimately, we have to strengthen it so that these things aren't moving and that we have the, the, the proper strength. And I think, um, <laughs> I think, like you said, that word is getting out little by little. People, people are believing that more. So you, you just go on Facebook, look at the feed, and every second or third thing is some sponsored advertisements for some dog shit thing that they think, oh, move your legs passively and it's going to get you stronger. Or put this infrared thing on your knee and it's going to get rid of your arthritis. Uh, wear this thing on your head. and I mean, it's, it's nonsense. Oh, that you mentioned stretching programs. People have to understand that a flexibility deficit is not an entity onto itself. It is a byproduct of the relationship of two opposing muscles force outputs, like your quad and your hamstring or your bicep and your tricep. And if one is stronger than the other, the stronger muscle will shorten, thereby creating a flexibility deficit. So you could stretch the stronger muscle as much as you want. It will never change the force deficit. The only way to resolve the flexibility issue is to strengthen the weakened muscle until the force outputs are equal. That's what everyone has to understand. Flexibility is not an entity onto itself. Balance is not an entity onto itself. Balance is the culmination of two systems. The neurological system, the semicircular canals and the cerebellum telling you where you are in space. And when you need to change yourself, they send signals to muscles to contract. So loss of balance is not from a loss of balance. That doesn't mean anything. You either have decreased neurological capacity or you're freaking weak. And I could show you that if you sit with your, your torso unsupported by a chair or anything, and you could find yourself centered, you don't have a neurological capacity problem. Guess what? You're freaking weak in your legs. That's your balance issue. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And I think uh, that's one of the bigger problems we have actually with seniors today is that quote unquote balance issue leads to a fall. And we have all the data when they do fall, you're basically in this downward spiral snowball effect where the chances of you living even another 10 years becomes very minimal because you become even more deconditioned. Now you have to be in a wheelchair. Now you're on medications. And before you know it, you're, you're no longer with us. So I think you know, fixing that quote unquote balance issue, like you said, which is really just typically a strength issue is, is very important. A hundred percent. So I've spent enough time with seniors. This is the way it works. Um, some older person falls and their children find out about it. And they're like, oh my God, you're unstable. You have balances. You know what you need? You need a cane. Well, what do you think a cane does? A cane transfers weight support from your legs to your arm. Even 20% of that variation takes 20% of the need of your muscles and your legs to support you. So what do you think is going to happen? You're going to make the, is that going to make your leg muscles stronger? No, weaker. You increase the speed and progression downward of your stability, which now leads you to say, oh no, you know, that's too unstable. You need a walker. Now you can put 50 to 60% of your body weight through your hands. That just took 50 to 60% of your body weight that needed to be supported from your legs away from it. What do you think that does to your legs? Weakens them further. Ultimately, wait a, you got it. And once you're in a wheelchair, that's the death mark. You don't come out of a wheelchair. Unless yeah. you know people like me or you who recognize that it's a muscular deficit 
that's actually responsible for their problem, not a quote unquote balance issue. Yeah, and I think a lot of this too um, is that there are short term things that we do need, right? So no one's saying that maybe you don't need a cane when you're by yourself just to get to the bathroom. That's that's fine. The, we, there's short term answers that we have here, right? But that, that it shouldn't be a long term solution, right? The long term solution should be to get back to functioning without these things. And I think that's that's a that's another part of the problem is for the physician or the medical or the health expert to say we're just using this literally and figuratively as a crutch very short term so that we can get you back to status quo and not get you stuck in this position forever right so so let me ask you this name a physician who is very familiar with strength training and its effect on function can you point to just show me because i'm not too familiar with that I'm well i mean if if they were maybe a, a an orthopedic or a sports medicine doctor i would assume that they are but certainly not your general practitioner that orthopedist knows one thing structure of joint end of story End of story. He don't know nothing about the muscles, how they move the joint, which is called kinetics, or the actual how joints move, surfaces move on one another, called kinematics. They know structure. That's, That's all they know. They know nothing. So I always find it very comical when this person says, and they come to me because they have shoulder pain, and they haven't raised anything overhead in 10 years, and they say, well, I went to the orthopedist and he said I should never lift anything more than five pounds of my and I'm thinking to myself, can I see that orthopedist? And I see that orthopedist and it's a 350 pound dude who can't even walk, get out of his chair. And I'm wondering, how did he know five pounds was the right answer? He's well-versed in weightlifting, that's interesting. Doesn't appear to be, doesn't have any educational background, but that poor schmuck with that goddamn name tag with the MD was enough to get that person to believe they have some understanding. They have no understanding. No understanding of function. That's the fact. They know structure and what it should look like and what it doesn't look like and how to make it look the way it should again. That's where it ends. Anytime someone tells me that a doctor, a physician, gave them some advice on function or how to live, I'm stunned. I'm stunned yeah. and irritated. And ultimately, you know, the things like our, our, our hips and our shoulders are ball and socket. They're meant to be moved in a, in a circular fashion. And if you don't move them in a circle, if you don't use it, you'll lose it, as they say, right? We, we have to continue to move these things uh, in all directions to make sure that we're creating space in there and that we are, that that, that that joint is healthy, so to speak. And I do think avoiding movement, again, is one of those things where, yeah, for a short period of time, if you have a serious injury, maybe you don't have, go towards this particular movement, but long-term, someone should say, someone should never say, never lift something over your head. That, that term never is, it has, to, has to leave the, the, the sort of the health space. Sure, so let's just go to, let's, let's give some examples about what you just said. Your kneecap is now in the back of your knee. I would suggest you probably should rest. Your arm bone is sticking out. I'm gonna say you should rest. If you strained your shoulder muscle, I don't give a shit what anyone tells you. You don't rest. You don't rest. You figure out which muscle is strained, eliciting your pain, and you cause that muscle to get enough force output for the force requirement of your activity, and guess what? It never elicits pain again. Every person that goes to a doctor and has pain is told to rest. If it's muscular, that is probably the dumbest thing you could tell someone to do. Because don't you fact. want don't you want blood flow to the area to help the healing process also in these these non-vascularized areas right by movement am i getting blood flow to that area to help sure you are but the real question is what's causing the pain if the problem is that the muscle strain because its force output was less than the force requirement to the activity how does not moving it 
increase the force output of that muscle. I, I'm trying to figure it out. All it does is it limits it. It decreases force output by, by lack of use. By telling that person to rest four to six weeks, you just incited that person to have a tougher time in resolving that pain or ever returning to function. That is a disgrace for that kind of thing to happen. I've had people who have had terrible muscular causes, writhing pain. They come to me the next day. They're on their process of getting out of pain if it's muscular. That's the kind of thing people have to understand. I want to pick up on another point you made. I want people to understand this premise. People get arthritis, herniated discs, stenosis, meniscal tears, all these structural variations. What's the cause of it? What's the cause? People love to say that bullshit statement, wear and tear. That doesn't mean shit. That, do you think Jack Lane, you ever, I guarantee if you took an x-ray of Jack Lane's shoulder or Jack Lane's vertebrae, there wasn't herniated disc stenosis or arthritis and he was 95. What causes structural variation is the fact you started to describe it. Your shoulder is a ball and socket. The way the shoulder works is you have muscles that attach from the shoulder blade to the arm bone, and they move the arm bone in the socket to allow for function. The best chance of that working properly is when 100% of the surface area of the head of the arm bone touches 100% of the surface area of the shoulder joint. That's when the surface area diffuses the force optimally, and that's the way God made the joint to work. Then you get weakness or imbalance because you didn't really understand the premise. You were supposed to stay in strength and balance, and the head of the arm bone shifts over slightly. Now, 80% of the surface area of the arm bone is touching 80% uh, of the arm bone. That's 80% taking 100% of the force requirement. That's not a good equation. So what do you think is going to happen? That excess compression, because not 100% is touching, is going to start to wear down the hyaline cartilage that sits on the, uh, the, the tops of the two bone surfaces. Once that wears away, bone is exposed. Once bone is exposed, you either have deterioration of bone or hypertrophic bone growth. That is the osteoarthritic process. So what caused it to begin was misalignment of joint surfaces due to weakness or imbalance. You want to stop arthritis? You want to stop meniscal tears? You want to prevent any of this stuff from ever happening again? Sustain strength and balance of muscle. That's how God designed your joints. And nobody would disagree with that sort of anatomical explanation you made. I guess what the, the physicians would say, and I know you'll, you'll push back here, is that um, for most people living their lives on a day-to-day -day basis, it's impossible for them to be preventative enough for them not to have some of that slip, for that not to go to 100 from 100 to 80 because they're just living their lives. They have jobs, they have careers, they have things to do, and inevitably they they don't have the time and energy to to keep that from from stopping. But what you're saying is they don't need a lot of time. They just need a little bit of education and they need about 3 days a week for an hour and they'll they'll never slip up. So <laughs> Again, going back to this principle, if this was the 1960s or 70s, I would be nobody. I wouldn't even have a job. I wouldn't have anything to do because there wasn't chronic pain, and I would have never been driven into understanding chronic pain because of the fact that people were doing manual activity, and as a result, the force requirement led their force outputs of their muscles to have to sustain it. And when you have that, you have the ability to sustain your muscle strength, which is why nobody was straining. And I assure you, there was very little um, meniscal tears and all these other types of situations being identified or even existing. It is because of the fact that we have now become sedentary 
and we are doing jobs that require no manual labor that our muscles are weakening and imbalancing to hutch such a higher level that it's feeding into the speed at which these degenerative processes are occurring. So you have a choice. Again, be a farmer or be an IT guy or an IT woman that recognizes that either they're going to sustain strength and balance a muscle or you're going to have these issues develop. It's your choice. You can do whatever you want. This is America. At least for now, we get to do whatever we want. But I can give you the logic behind why it's happening. I can pre present to you the empirical evidence of it. I can show you. I mean, you could take me. I'm 61. I started lifting weights at 26. I put on 60 pounds of muscle. Perfect balance, everything. If you look at my bony alignments, they're all in alignment. I defy anyone at 61 doing a 405-pound squat and a 405-pound straight leg deadlift. Look for arthritis. Find arthritis. Find a herniated disc. Find a meniscal tear. You're never going to find it. It isn't there. Because I have sustained not just the strength, but the balance of my muscle. All my joints are perfectly aligned. Maximal congruency. Perfect use of the joint as, it's, as it was designed to be. I, 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 someone want to defend that position outside of what I'm saying. I'm, I'm happy to discuss it. What is so? Let's go into some specifics here, as far as like workout and exercise routine. You you know you talked about the, I guess you would call the 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 high level uh, thing. You know with the force output, but what about specifics? Are are you doing traditional strength training exercises? Are you focused on uh, working uh, particular muscles on certain days? Let's get into specifics of exercise. Sure, sure. So can I just and I know you're a personal trainer, and I'm not attacking you as an individual because I really don't know that much about how you train or how you treat your people. As far as I'm concerned, the mid-1990s was a pivotal moment in personal training. It really related to The Biggest Loser and all these types of shows where everyone decided that isolated strengthening wasn't the direction to go. We were going to move towards functional training. It was kind of the advent of CrossFit and Orange yeah. Theory and the moving the tires and pushing the sleds. And I got no problem with that. But let me ask you this. Someone has a weak left hip muscle. Right? They have a weak left hip muscle, and they're going to try to push that tire over, or they're going to move that sled. What would happen if they try to do that? If they're weak on the left side, they're going to compensate. You have compensations right. on the right side, then you have synergistic dominance, and then right. it's, it then spirals out of control. So you, you, have to, you have to fix it through some sort of corrective exercise where you're focused on that muscle first, and then you can work in function. There you go. So I don't, I'm, I'm great with, I treat huge numbers of CrossFit people. I treat lots of athletes. I want you to do every activity that you love to do for the sake of doing it. But you have to recognize that activity by definition implies that groups of muscles are being are performing the activity. And therefore, if there is a weakened muscle, compensation develops, leading you to do it improperly, leading to ultimately breaking down. So I want isolated strengthening to always be the basis by which we do what we do. Okay? And then do activity to make yourself happy. Activities should be joyful, and I agree, and with the least chance of injury. So I believe in isolated strengthening. Now, okay, I'm sorry, you could go. No, uh, and I was going to just piggyback on that. I'll, I'll let you go on. But the, the reason why that's important, because when you talk about activities, activities tend to repeat the same motions and the same patterns over and over, which can also create problems. So let's say a golfer, golfers don't swing both ways. They're only swinging one way, right? So you're, so a, as I take my arms backwards, I'm, I'm loading up in, in my lat, my serratus only in one direction, one shortening, one's lengthening, and, and you're repeating these motions over and over. So you have to have the strength training portion to sort of even things out for lack of a better term. Excellent. So let's just bring up another point that relates to what you're saying. 
This phrase, obvious. Obvious. Oh, why did I hurt my, why do I have tennis elbow? Oh, obvious. That doesn't mean anything. That's a foolish, it doesn't, it's a meaningless statement. The usage of the muscles for that activity is fairly set in stone. If I play tennis, I kind of play tennis the same way every time. I don't yeah. suddenly change how I play tennis. So we have to assume that the force requirement is basically constant. The reason that it leads to pain is because the force output of all the muscles trying to perform that is not available. And as a result, one muscle couldn't do what it needed to. You compensated, causing a force requirement greater than that what that muscle was designed to. So it strains and elicits pain. So let's, as a general rule, stop saying the word overuse and describe it as understrengthened. We have a much better chance of helping people in that regard. Now, the reason that it's such a fun and exciting type of um, statement is because now if I say it's overuse, well, now I could give you a brace and I can give you anti-inflammatories and I can give you cortisone shots and I can give you all these things to try to make it so that it's a little easier for you to adapt to doing that. But you're still never doing the one thing you need, which was recognize that certain muscles just aren't strong enough. That's the problem. It's financially much more beneficial to the planet of capitalism to say you have overuse than to say you're understrengthened. Because if you're understrengthened, you just got to know which exercise to do, do it yourself, and you don't have your problem anymore. That's part of the problem with this that I see. I'm a, I'm a logician. I always see everything in pure logic, and I always try to establish cause, look for, you know, resolve cause, establish cause, resolve cause. So going to so that, that was just my little shtick about overuse and kind of what you were talking about. So, But you are on to the other part of this, which is that Certain activities use certain muscles much more than others. And because we do everything in front of us, let's say in the upper body, there is no question we're going to use our chest, our anterior delt, and our bicep more to lift things, do all this kind of stuff. As a result of that, these will have a tendency to shorten because the opposing muscles in the upper back are weaker. And as a result, as they shorten, they change the lengths of these muscles, they change the lengths of the muscle in the upper back, and everything becomes susceptible to straining. So one of my primary concepts is for people to understand that if you're going to do an activity, there's probably some universal exercises you're going to need to sustain balance of the opposing muscles that are not used in activity so their force outputs are equivalent to the force outputs of the muscles doing the activity so we could sustain balance, again, maintaining optimal length of muscle and optimal congruency of the joints that those muscles are moving. In your program, do you need actual physical weights? Could you use bands? Can you use cable machines? Can you use any of these forces to still create this or are you weights only? No, no, you, you kind of hit the point. So I don't care the mechanism by which the resistance is created as long as we're using the appropriate resistance and um, that, that's a whole separate type of issue is for people who understand. You know, you see people and they go to the gym and, you know, they're talking to their friend and kind of doing that thing like that. And uh, like, do you really think you're doing something? You, you can't possibly think. And, and, it, and I don't have a problem. Again, I don't know. If you want to do that and that's your thing, that's cool. But then don't come to me and tell me you didn't get stronger. That weightlifting doesn't work because you're not doing it right. Right? So you got to use a resistance that's enough to allow that muscle to respond by creating more muscle mass and adapting, and that's how you get stronger. So you got to establish what the proper resistance is, 
One of the big things I have a complaint about is that um, I think that there's just a lack of understanding from a fairly high perspective. And I, I primarily work with people with massive levels of pain. I don't work with just the general population, usually, unless they're coming for a specific reason. Um, so I have to be very, very accurate in how I'm going to cause that muscle to contract. So I really would love to see a, a, maybe a, a slightly higher level of understanding of how to isolate these muscles so because that technique has to be very accurate. If not, you're going to compensate and bring in other muscles, and you're never really going to be isolating that muscle. So, um, you know, just having a real good understanding of exactly how to isolate, what that muscle does. Each muscle moves one joint in one direction, so we want to make sure we're doing that with the proper resistance. That's the basis of kind of how I do my weightlifting. And people use bands, free weights, any of that stuff. I'm all for any of it. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing when you're working with clients to try to teach them kind of that mind-muscle connection and saying, do you understand which muscle's firing here? Do you understand when I pull this way that this muscle's firing? When I release this way, that muscle is now lengthening and this muscle's shortening and what is going on? But it's, it's important for them to know and not just stick them on a machine and say, do 10 repetitions, right? Explain to them why they're working the muscles so they, they can build that mind-muscle connection so that they don't need as heavy as weight and that they can, they can properly build these muscles. It's so funny. So I can't tell you how many times I've treated people and they've gone for physical therapy, like 30, 50, 80 times. And, and so I'll say, what did they do? And they said, well, they had me do a band and they did this and then they did this and they did this. And, they did all that. and, and so I always said, I always said, so did they ask you, like, where'd you feel it? Yeah. Where'd you? No, no, no. I just did three sets of 10 and then they said, do that three. And I... And, and so then they'll come to me and I'm like, where did you feel it? Like I'm, so I'm, so I'm trying to get the gluteus medius yeah. muscle with hip abduction. I mean, you got to feel it in one spot and one spot only. And you have yeah. to have that exact form. And I go through this and there's times I spent recently with someone 20 minutes on one exercise. Yeah, and, 20 and, and, minutes. And the nuance of even small things. So if you're grabbing a band, the amount you grip that band is going to completely change the exercise, right? So if I'm death, death gripping that band, my forearms are now hyperactive in the process of me pulling it backwards. So are my, are my uh, traps and some of my other muscles in, in my back firing to the same extent? No, because I'm death gripping that band, right? So there's all these little nuances that you'll that, that need to be explained and there needs to be constant strategic two-way communication with the client who's doing the exercise saying, do you feel it here? Do you feel it here? And even looking at their body and analyzing and seeing like, oh, is, is, my, is that bicep engaged here? We don't want it to be engaged. So we're, we, have to, we have to redo this exercise. I, I see what you're saying to me is something I just would love to have a conversation with everybody in the fitness and medical world that's working on trying to develop strength. It's got to be serious, man. It's not a game. It's not yeah. entertaining that person. I, I, I mean, it's sad to say, and I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I think a lot of people in the fitness world kind of don't really, haven't invested the time themselves to really understand what they're supposed to be doing. And it becomes more of a social interaction thing because it's a way of diverting from the fact the person's really not getting the benefit. And so as long as they like me, maybe they'll keep coming with me. The, the, yeah. You ever see someone work out when I'm with them? It is so freaking serious, and I am so extreme in my focus, and they are too. I'll have people do three bullshit exercises. They are exhausted, exhausted at doing three little exercises because I've done it so accurately, and they were their weakest muscles they had 
we use just the right amount of resistance to cause them to be uh, to be working at the optimal so they could grow the fastest and they are exhausted they're huffing and puffing doing the smallest little movement but that's what this has to be and I, and that's what people what it ultimately comes down to is i am I, and this gets a little quirky again i believe i'm a servant of god a higher power i am here to simply provide this gift that i've been given to people i have nothing to gain from the rea- the interrelationship from me and that person it is all them it is all them i am devoting my entire being to them getting benefit so that with that understanding you recognize it's all about them and, and you've got to give everything you got and it's got to be serious and specific and i think if you're taking that approach the person's going to get the results they want and they'll refer people to you and all that kind of stuff but if it's just kind of something you're doing like as a profession or a way of making money i i i, I think you're just missing the mark and i just really feel it's an injustice to people and i am all in this for people well, there's a lot of bad information out there, but hopefully, you know, the, you know, glass half full, the good information will beat out the bad information and, you know, information like yours that you're spreading will, will start to become more mainstream now that people have access to things and, and people will, uh, especially people with chronic pain will have no choice but to listen. Uh, this has been great information and I'm sure we'll do this again. We'll get maybe into more details about like specific things, especially now that towards the end we're, we're talking about the lifting. But let my listeners know now uh, where they can find you, where they can find your Instagram, anything about you, and then I'll link it all below in the description. Sure. So very important to understand. I don't care who you are in the world. If you have pain, you deserve to be out of pain. And if you reach me by email, I promise you I will respond. My email address is Dr. Mitch at mitchellyas.com it's d-r-m-i-t-c-h at mitchellyas.com um you could certainly go to my website live without pains it's plural live without pains.com a lot of information on there all free content if you decide you want to contact me there there's a contact us button also um if you decide you want to have a session with me you could either do an in-person session i'm in jacksonville florida or i've been doing zoom since 2015 anywhere in the world i'm happy to do them um, my YouTube channel is probably the best place to get the best, largest amount of free information about the method. It's Dr. Mitchell Yas. You can search on YouTube. I think that's your best bet for getting information. And my only point to everybody is never think there's not an answer. I know many people have been living in pain for long periods of time and you're becoming disillusioned. Do nev- never stop, never giving up. I've worked with too many suicidal people to know that is a bad path to go. You have to believe there's an answer and you have to keep trying. I promise you, you will find your path there one day. That's a great message. My guest today has been Dr. Mitchell Yass. Thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.